I am starting my DoorDash shift, um, deciding which orders that I want to accept. So I'll usually just hit Dash now and select how long I want to go. But usually I'll go for about four hours. Camry Anderson is sitting in her well-worn 2010 Honda Accord, parked in a lot next to a Nordstrom rack in Durham, North Carolina. Logged in to start a shift for the food delivery app, DoorDash. So this order right here is $5 for eight and a half miles. So I'm not gonna take that. <laughs> Sometimes it does take a while to get the type of order that you want. I like move around sometimes. Camry waits until area. a better option pops up on the app. So we have an order from Maggiano's, $11.75 for nine miles. That's okay to me, so I'll go ahead and accept that one. Camry is 25 years old, a few years out of college, and she actually has a full-time job at the Durham Police Department. And my car mount broke, so <laughs> I had to put it down here. But here she is, delivering food as a side hustle. I do this job on the side to help pay bills or just extra money for whenever I want to do something. Some of those bills that are looming for Camry starting next year are student loans. I think I have to pay back 35000 total. Camry isn't alone. Student debt has become a crisis that has exploded in recent years. Today, the total student loan debt in this country is more than $1.7 trillion. And over the past three decades, the average amount of debt owed by student borrowers has tripled. But black student borrowers like Camry have been hit especially hard. America's vast racial wealth gap means that black students and their families are more likely to take out loans and take out loans for bigger amounts than their white counterparts. Black graduates leave college with an average of over $7,000 more in student loans than white graduates. Now that might not actually sound like that much, but it gets worse quickly. Black grads have a harder time paying that debt off On average, black students graduate with seven times less wealth than white students. And because of the speed at which loan interest accumulates, four years after graduating, the gap between what black and white borrowers owe triples. According to a 2016 study from the Brookings Institute, four years after school, white borrowers, on average, will have $28,000 in debt, while black borrowers owe over $52,000, which leaves people like Camry hustling with second or even third jobs to make ends meet. I'm going to go inside and get the order. As Camry picks up her first order of the day from a local Italian restaurant, she describes her work schedule. At Durham PD, I work 12-hour shifts, three to four days out of the week. It just depends on the week. And usually get two weekends off. I work from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. And on her off days, she does DoorDash, usually around 12 hours a week. 
Camry says it's frustrating to take on these extra shifts, but she feels lucky to have her main job at the police department. And even though she's in debt, Camry doesn't regret getting her degree in criminal justice at North Carolina Central University, one of the state's storied HBCUs. After taking a forensics course my senior year of high school, it was automatic. Like, I knew I wanted to try to be a crime scene investigator or work with evidence or work in forensics, and you need school to do that. 926. The customer requested you leave the order at their door. They added the following instructions. Leave at my door. But this student debt crisis is not just hitting black graduates hard. It's impacting their families, too. Like many black families, Camrys couldn't afford the tuition for NC Central straight up. All I remember really is just someone telling me what to do, like to get certain loans. But I had to learn along the way um, the different types of loans and grants that you could get. And my mom did help explain those as well. We sat down and talked with talked with the school to find out how much it would cost each semester. Dina Fincher, Camry's mother, still remembers those early conversations. And at first, Camry took the loans out herself. But then something unexpected happened. Each year, they said that the tuition was going up. And Camry couldn't qualify for any more federal loans, so Dina had to step in. And so I ended up having to get about five parent um, student loans to help her out. Parent PLUS loans have become increasingly common in recent years and often come with even higher interest rates than normal student loans. And black parents tend to need them more, especially at HBCUs. According to the Century Foundation, around 6% of black parents take out Parent PLUS loans, but 20% of black parents sending their kid to an HBCU rely on the program. The rise in student loans is partly due to the rising cost of tuition. A recent study from Georgetown University found that since 1980, the average price of tuition, fees, and room and board for an undergraduate degree increased over 170%, even after adjusting for inflation. Dina felt she had no choice but to take on some of this debt for Camry. With my daughter, it was $23,000, a little over $23,000. But that's not all she owes. With my own school, it was about um, $35,000, $36,000. Dina is still paying off her own student loans. A third of Black parents with loans for their children's education still have student loans themselves, compared to 13% of white parents. In all, Dina owes nearly $60,000. Dina is 52 years old, now divorced, and works as an administrative assistant at a law firm. And like her daughter, she picks up extra work whenever it's available, on average, about eight hours a week. I definitely wasn't expecting it to be still owing this much money at my age at all. Camry is grateful that her mom was willing and able to help. She has friends whose parents couldn't qualify, but it still weighs on her. 
that her mom had to take on this extra debt. I don't like that part of it because it was my education and my mom had me at the same age that I am now. And she went to school before that. And now I'm almost 26 and she's still paying for a school on top of what I had to take out under her name. Over the last few years, student debt has become a major political issue. It was a big talking point during the 2020 Democratic primaries when then-candidate Joe Biden promised to address the crisis. And then, in late August... My campaign for president, I made a commitment that would provide student debt relief. President Biden finally announced his plan. We will forgive $10,000 in outstanding federal student loans. In addition, students who come from low-income families, which allowed them to qualify to receive a Pell Grant, will have their debt reduced $20,000. Both of these targeted actions are for families who need it the most. Working and middle-class people hit especially hard during the pandemic, making under $125,000 a year. This plan, which is set to go into effect in January, could affect 43 million Americans and completely eliminate debt for 20 million people. And with the economy and inflation top of mind for voters this fall, pundits began to speculate about how this might affect Democrats' momentum ahead of the midterms. How does this effort to uh, relieve debt play for Democrats this fall, do you think? It's fantastic. Look, Democrats are delivering with the narrowest margins in the House and the Senate. We have delivered with the American Rescue Plan. The conservative backlash has been swift. Like Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, a rising Republican star who said this on the Hugh Hewitt radio show. You're going to be having plumbers, people that have their own small businesses, waitresses. They're going to be on the hook to pay the student loan of somebody who got a Ph.D. in gender studies. I mean, give me a break. But others who remember Biden's campaign promise to cancel all undergraduate federal debt for HBCU students don't think the plan goes far enough. A lot of people have said this step by the Biden administration is a major deal. Which camp do y'all fall in? It's cute. Cute. I always say, you know, baby steps are steps, but they're baby steps. Now you need to walk. Student loan debt has become a generation-defining issue, especially for young black Americans. So we're headed to North Carolina Central University, home of the sound machine, to continue our Power of the Black Vote Tour. Oh, I'm definitely going to be looking at all of these platforms. Like, I know a lot of people, when I started to look into the midterms and stuff, and I started to look on their websites, they have a tab now for debt. Like how they had a tab before for medical care. Now it's tabs for student debt. The narrative that's being pushed is that students aren't thinking about these things. And when we're signing these dotted lines, it's the last thing on our mind. But it's very much the very first thing on our minds. I'm Tremaine Lee, and this is Into America. North Carolina is at the center of the American student debt crisis. 
As of 2022, the state holds $49.2 billion in student loan debt, a number that has tripled over the last decade. Today, how black students in the Bull City are tackling their own student loan debt, trying to build a financial foothold for their families, and putting this issue at the top of their agendas this election season. Join MSNBC's Simone Sanders-Townsend, Michael Steele, and Alicia Menendez as they team up to host The Weeknd. We want to get the newsmakers, the people that are in the middle of what is happening. It's about the conversation. A lot of Americans check out of conversations. We want to check them in. Conversation we begin and that you continue all week long. The Weeknd, Saturdays and Sundays at 8 a.m. Eastern on MSNBC. Get the best of MSNBC all in one place every day with the MSNBC Daily Newsletter. Each morning in your inbox, you'll find expert analysis, video highlights of your favorite shows. Running for re-election is when you actually get your report card from the American people. Previews from our podcasts and documentaries, as well as written perspectives from the newsmakers themselves. Understand today's news. Sign up for MSNBC Daily at MSNBC.com. Jonah, what's good, brother? Hey, hey, hey. How you feeling, man? Good. How are you? When Jonah Vincent met me outside of his home in Durham, the first thing I noticed was his T-shirt. Now, first, I see the shirt. Cancel student debt, man. What's that about? Yeah, cancel student debt. Straightforward, straight to the point, no cap. That's yeah. what it is. Jonah is 39 years old, an activist, educator, and musician, and passionate about ending the student debt crisis to help families like Camry and Dina. It's one of the reasons he founded NoCap, an organization that mobilizes black students and young people around pivotal issues. We need to cancel student debt. You know, this is something serious. And for us at NoCap, you know, we see it as a, a really big issue to close the racial wealth gap. You know, for black students in this state and across the country, we have the most amount of debt. Jonah has his own student debt, but he feels lucky that he and his wife both have good jobs and steady income, especially because six weeks before we met, they welcomed a baby girl into the world. The day she was born, I, I never forget this, man. I'm looking at her and she was born with her eyes open and she's looking at me, looking in my direction because she's hearing my voice. And I'm looking at her and I'm like, man, she can be anything that she wants to be. And as soon as I said that to myself, I'm like, ah, student debt. You know, I'm thinking about that, like, oh man, do, do, can we afford to put her through college? Can we, can she afford to get through college? For a while, Jonah attended Shaw University and HBCU in Raleigh, then transferred to dorms NC Central, where he graduated with a bachelor's in jazz studies. He stayed on at Central to get his master's in music theory and composition. Over the course of studying, he racked up a pretty penny in debt. Now, through NoCap, Jonah talks to current students, especially HBCU students, about debt as a social and political issue. So today, we're heading back to Central, a 10-minute drive from his house. All right. You got to yeah. tell me where I'm going. Uh, okay, yeah. This lap, it keeps straight. It's fine. Either way, it's too far. And like, as it stands now, how much do you owe in student debt? A little north of 120. And are you 
able to pay this? Uh, no, man. No. <laughs> no. Nah. No, it's just no way. At the start of the pandemic, the Trump administration put a pause on federal student loan payments. This gave millions of borrowers like Jonah a small window into what life without this debt might look like. Uh, my previous car, before the pause on payments, my car had like 230,000 miles on it. It's breaking down left and right. Keep trying to check my credit, like, oh, I got to get another car, I got to get another car, but I can't I try to figure that out. And then all of a sudden, my student loans go away, come off my credit, and boom, I'm like, oh, I can qualify for this loan to get this car. Let me go ahead and get this now. You know what I'm saying? It takes so much off your back. And that's what I think that they don't realize. They don't realize the weight that's on everybody's shoulders because of this. For more than two years now, the government has continued the pause on federal loan payments. But when Biden announced his plan for student debt relief this summer, he also made it clear that payments would restart in January. Jonah says that come January, there's absolutely no way he'll be able to afford his student loan bills, which total $580 a month. At this point, his plan is to just not pay them and hope and pray for the best. Before the loans and the stress of whether and how to pay those loans, Jonah always knew college would be part of his future. The biggest motivators were his parents, who both have college degrees. It's a different time as far as economically, money-wise, but I think probably the same culturally. Like, you gotta do something. You know what I mean? You gotta- Whatever it takes, like- Yeah, it's the same thing. It's like, you know, what you gonna do? You gonna go work? You gonna get your degree? What you gonna do? You know what I'm saying? He says he didn't give the debt a lot of thought until it was time to graduate. So I was a po- there was a point, man, where, you know, you start to think about it. And I say that point didn't come until after undergrad, when I got that first <laughs> right, exit right. interview. And I was like, oh, boy. And I was like, how can I get it? Am I going to be good if I go straight to grad school? And I was like, the answer to that question was yes. The administrator told Jonah if he went to grad school, he could defer his student loans until after he got out. But if he didn't, he'd have to start making payments within six months. So I was like, okay, let me just go straight to grad school while I try to figure out mm-hmm. how to how to handle this. But that just means, you know, more money. More money. Yeah, more wow. money. Yeah. And so when you left undergraduate, how, how much uh, debt were you in? I was roughly about eighty. Oof. Yeah. That's not like a big number, man. It 80. is a big number. It's a huge number. It's not as much as some people I know either, though. That's the thing. You know what I mean? For Jonah, the student loan crisis always comes back to the racial wealth gap. He says his family is the perfect example. My family didn't have a lot, you know what I mean? We had enough. When you start start looking at like, you know, listening to my dad talk about stories of who my great-great-grandfather was, you know, the story that they tell was that he was a, he was a runaway slave. Mm. Could you imagine if where my family would be, or where our families would be, if we were able to establish ourselves and have things to hand down. And the only way that we can really come up in this country is through education, really. Americans are taught that a college degree matters, but for black Americans, there's an extra significance. At one point, we were literally and legally forbidden from learning to read and write. So now, 
being able to achieve at this level is a source of pride. And a college degree in particular is one of the most reliable paths towards upward mobility. But with college being so expensive and so many black graduates and their families trapped with student loans they're unable to pay off, getting that degree can turn into a catch-22. When we start talking about canceling student debt, you know, how many black kids, young black folks that have student debt, how many of them would, would be able to buy property you know what I mean? Be yeah. able to buy property, buy a house, or start that business, take out that business loan. You know what I mean? To cultivate their idea. We get off the freeway, and as we approach NC Central, Jonah turns and looks out the window. I was going to take you by the, by the projects, man, right right down the oh, street. The show. So you can see it, like, and it goes down in the Mac. You know what I'm saying? Mm. It goes down in the Mac, man, and it's right right there. I wonder how many folks that live over there now had dreams of coming here. Mm -hmm. But again, the financial barriers were too high. Or the educational system failed. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? It's probably most likely. Yeah. Right, it's real, dog. It's real. Jonah says when he started his advocacy organization, NoCap, which is a play on the slang term for a lie, he knew that HBCUs would be crucial. We started no cap. I wanted to make sure that we centered at HBCUs because I wanted to make sure that all the young people, not just the ones on campus, you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. but folks that are in the surrounding neighborhoods have an opportunity, you know what I'm saying? We organize young folks, man. We, we meet our folks where they are. Galvanizing the student base is one of no cap's strengths, mixing activism and history with culture. Their actions include lobbying their representatives to cancel student debt and a get-out-the-vote campaign in Charlotte with hometown rapper DaBaby back in 2020. Why is this so important to you today? Because we got to get out here and vote, man. Somebody got to get us excited to really get out here and you know, pop up and just let our voices be very clear. It's just a super big deal, and I feel like people who, you know, As we finally turn to campus, I ask him how he's feeling. You know, it's always good to be back home. Is where you kind of earn your stripes, where you became part of who you are. This is the, uh, that's the music building right there. So I spent my time in the art building. This is where the jazz studies building is. So I see all the musicians standing outside. Felt like home, man. Coming up, Joan and I sit down with a couple of students at NC Central to hear about their experience with student debt as current undergrads. And Jonah offers up some advice. Stick with us. Hey, it's Chris Hayes. This week on my podcast, Why Is This Happening? Evangelical pastor and director of Vote Common Good, Doug Padgett, on the rise of Christian nationalism and what's at stake in this year's election. We lack a story in this country about what our politics are supposed to achieve. And when we suggest to them that the common good can be your voting identity, rather than being Republican or being a Democrat or being fiscally this or that, big government or small government, but you care about the common good, people are like, oh yeah, that that I actually care about. That's this week on Why Is This Happening. Search for Why Is This Happening wherever you're listening right now and subscribe. 
MSNBC is going to be live here all night. Today's news requires more facts. Palestinians and Israelis are blaming each other for the tragedy that has inflamed the region. More analysis. Most of the states with the worst rates of gun deaths are ones where Republicans control the state government. And more perspective. This is not just about women and pregnant people in Texas. This is about people across this country. The world's never been harder to understand. That's why it's never been more important to try. MSNBC. Understand more. The green bowl is so nice today. Like. It was. I would love to like put a hoodie on and come do some homework out here. Yeah. I don't know why we don't could just come out here like on a blanket and just chill like at the campus. Like. When we get to campus, Joan and I walk over to the Green Bowl, a central meeting area and spot for events at North Carolina Central. We're there to meet two current Central students and good friends, Heaven and Marquay. My name is Marquay Spencer-Gibbs. I'm originally from Inglehart, North Carolina, and I'm a senior English student here at North Carolina Central. So my name is Heaven Smith. I am from Virginia Beach, Virginia. Heaven is getting her degree in criminal justice, but she's still young and figuring it out. Recently, she's been thinking she might want to go to veterinary school. Marquay has known what he's wanted to do for a while now. I really want to get into something that I know that can make a difference. So then I decided I wanted to go to school in teaching. And we know that that requires, you know, higher education. But his family couldn't afford tuition. And it was also understanding there was no college fund. So it was like, you know, you needed to apply for scholarships. You needed to work. And when I was looking at this school, I was like, okay, I don't want to put my, my parents in the financial situation of it could definitely go wrong. So I decided to choose a school that was in-state. And of course, I still wanted to go to HBCU. So I ultimately made my decision to go here. Um, but that was definitely during that college application process with that understanding. More than 85% of students at Central receive financial aid assistance, including student loans. For in-state, on-campus, undergraduate tuition, students are looking at about $25,000 a year. So how much in loans do y'all owe? How much, how much do you owe? You, you chuckled already, like... <laughs> um, collectively, cost me about $37,000 a year, three and a half years somewhere like in the 90s. Wow. Heaven says she has $19,000 of debt in her name. The rest are Parent PLUS loans that her mom took out. Marquette, how much, how much for you? Ooh. Um, so I'm yeah, Well, first of all, that says it all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, low, that's a lot. lot for me because I'm just thinking of like perspective. On my own, 38000 and then my mother took out a Parent PLUS loan my first year. Well, for how much? I believe about seven dollars to $8,000. Wow, so ninety thousand, about forty thousand, and it almost seems like there's a generational thing. Like the weight isn't just on your shoulders; it's on your parents' shoulders because they also borrowed some money. Absolutely. Does that exacerbate things? That make the, the the weight feel even heavier? That's not just you. Yes and no. My mom, she took these loans out, but I have all intentions of paying them. In my head, I'm really trying to figure out how I'm going to be able to pay my loans monthly, but then also hers. Like I don't want her to have to pay the loans. She fronted it but I am going to take all of the... That's my goal. These Parent PLUS loans, like the ones Camry Anderson's mom has, have long-lasting consequences. 
A recent report from the Century Foundation showed that after 10 years, the average balance remaining on a Parent PLUS loan was 55% of the original balance. But for black borrowers, it was 96%. As Heaven and Marquay talk about their finances, Jonah is nodding along. Jonah, how familiar does what they're saying sound to you? You were not terribly long ago in their position, ready to enter the world and realize that you're carrying a lot of debt for this education, this experience. Does this all sound familiar to you? Sounds extremely familiar. The alarming thing is that hearing this from these two young folks here, this whole campus is probably filled with other black students that have the same situation. Jonah talks about student loan debt um, kind of as a trap door. Does it feel like there's something unfair about this whole loan system to y'all? Yeah, I do feel like it's a setup. I feel like you know that this is what we need to just live. And you're going to have us take out more than half of our yearly income for this piece of paper that you know that we're going to need. And then you want it back with interest. And there are people who have $50,000 in debt, have paid $40,000 and still have 30000 left to pay. It doesn't, it's not adding up. Mm. I, think it's, I think it's a setup, but there's nothing I can do. What do you think, Marquay? It is a setup. <laughs> it is a setup. Um, and I say that because there are so many things, so many professions and industries that require that you have a degree. Like, you're going to tell a teacher, oh, you don't need that degree. Or the engineer or your doctor that you don't need that degree. And so I feel like that even more so for HBCU student. Because we're underfunded, now we have students that have to take out these loans to make up for the inequity in funding for our institutions. And I feel like that's another thing as well with student loans. The people that you know speak about student loans should it be canceled. I would say it's disheartening because at the end of the day, most of the people that are here in the country don't have gold mines in their backyard to pay for college or to pay for, you know, the master's and doctorate programs. But a lot of people say it's unfair to cancel it. You had this great experience on this wonderful campus and got this education. You know, why should, you know, the taxpayers foot the bill? What do you say to those folks who say it would be unfair? Oh, she's she about, she about to go um, in now. You can see she's looking at the hair. She's about to go in. It doesn't make sense to me to be like, oh, well, I had to experience this, so you shouldn't get to be better. But that's just me. I would love, even if I have to pay my debt for the next set of kids to be like, oh, okay, like I was able to go through college and not have to worry. It is so saddening when you have people that come into college and are so excited and really happy to get this experience and then have to go back home because your financial aid didn't clear or you can't afford it or anything like that. You said something that was really, that really struck me. And you said, that's just me. And we have to realize that you're, it's not just you. There's a whole community of people that feel exactly the same way that you feel. We see this as wrong and having these conversations like this and um, building power around this particular movement, especially for black, young black students. And it sounds cliche, but let them know via our vote. As you have, are you thinking about student loan debt when you're going to vote? I would hope there would be somebody that would represent me that could relate to me as a woman, as a black woman, as a black woman with student debt, as a as a person with student debt. 
I would want you to, if you can't relate, to at least sympathize and understand what needs to be done. Where in terms of like issues on campus among your friends, how big a deal is student loan debt? Are y'all talking about this as an issue? Um, we talk about yeah, it. Yeah, we talk about like my friend group, out of all of us, I think, I think there's seven of us. We talk every single day. Three might have little to no debt. Everybody else has debt. And I mean, it's sometimes we'll sit and we'll joke because you kind of have to laugh at your pain. And one might be like, yeah, I have about 40,000. And one will be like 40. Like, I wish I had 40. And that's just kind of how you make light of the fact that you're hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt at 21 years old. <laughs> and it's, it's crazy because the narrative that's being pushed is that students aren't thinking about these things. And when we're signing these papers and the dotted line, it's the last thing on our mind, but it's very much the very first thing on our minds. And it's a recurring thing in our conversation. A lot of people have said this step by the Biden administration is a major deal that no other president has, has taken up. Other people say, like, it's not enough at all. Which camp do y'all fall in? Some saying, like, you should be happy. He did anything at all. <laughs> what side are y'all on this? It's cute. Cute. Um, I feel like I always say, you know, baby steps are steps, but they're baby steps. Now you need to walk. Of course, I appreciate it. I'm not ungrateful, but okay. You know that you could do more. It's just the politicking of it all and figuring out a way to try to appease everybody. It's completely understood that what you might feel personally as it pertains to politics you have to do what satisfies the masses, what's going to get your vote, what's good for the look. But again, like I said, it's, it's cute, like, thanks, but what's next? Because 20,000 on 100 is, what's that doing? Do you think, Marquette, is this just a, a cute little step, looks good for politics, or is this something that could actually change the lives of folks who are, who are carrying all this debt? Well, for me, it's nice. But again, there needs to be more done. The conversation should be geared towards not, oh, my taxpayer dollars are paying for this, but my taxpayer dollars are going to something that could benefit other people. So how long do you think it's going to take y'all to pay this debt off, the debt you have? How do you plan on tackling it? God willing, you know, I pay it off. But that's a lot of money. And the way that interest accumulates, they're probably never going to get all that money. But hopefully, you know, I won't be in debt for the rest of my life. Mark, how, how, how do you plan on tackling this debt? I mean, do you have any sense of how long it might take you? I definitely want to go to Teach for America, read the fine print on the education award to pay for my master's. And then with the current plan that's been in place, you know, for students without Pell Grants, about $10,000 um, in cancellation. And then with Pell Grant, it's 20000 And so the hope is to be able to pay that off before I get anything else in terms of a higher degree or make any major moves such as a new car or a home because after that cancellation I'm still about twenty two, twenty five thousand in a hole and so that's going to be my first priority to get taken care of. You know Jonah graduated 10 years ago from this college. He had this family starting off but he was where y'all were. I would love to hear if y'all have any questions for him since he's experienced this and what it's like to move into the world as a young adult but carrying this burden. I think that's my exact question, um, especially as like we prepare to start like our next stages of life. Mm -hmm. 
Like, yeah, like how do you do it? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not gonna hold you. I don't even know. Um, you know, the only thing I will say is like, um, keep keep pushing forward. Young folks should not be asking these questions. You should be asking the question of how can I how can I achieve the dream that I have in my mind? And just also know that there are folks, there's voices behind you echoing exactly what you guys are saying. On the roads around Durham, Camry Anderson is halfway through her DoorDash shift. Like Jonah, she's also got an eye on January when her student loan bills will start coming in again. She's not sure what they'll be exactly. She's waiting to see how Biden's plan will affect her, but she thinks they'll be around $360 a month. That's a big chunk of her disposable income. Um, I'm thinking about it, but <laughs> only thing we could try to do is get more money. Um, get out there and grind harder. Camry wishes Central gave students better information around financial aid and scholarships, but she's glad she went. She had a great time at the school, she learned a lot, and she needed that degree to have a chance at a career in crime scene forensics. Now that she's got her foot in the door at the police department, she hopes she can get closer to that dream job, and the debt will feel less daunting. And, I mean, me personally, I've just been trying to move up and try to try really hard to get into my career field because, of course, it pays more than what I'm doing now so that it will um, at least be able to be a bill that I can pay when it comes. It's getting dark, and Camry pulls off the freeway for a dinner break. Um, I will do the cob salad. Can I get no tomatoes? And again, it's not just Camry who will be thinking about January 1st when the pause on payments is lifted. It's her mother, Dina, that weighs on Camry. And it's like, now we're grown, she can do what she wants to do for herself, but then it's hard because you still have things to pay for when really this is the part of her life where she should be vacationing and just having fun or even being retired. (laughs) But you're still having to pay for everyday things along with debt from education. Camry thanks her whole family for helping her get through college in whatever way they could. This car she's sitting in used to belong to her grandma and her aunt. They let her drive through college when she was delivering pizzas. And this year, she finally took over the title. It's for those people in her life that she keeps grinding and keeps working. Everybody doesn't have that um, opportunity or that blessing. So I am grateful for having a supportive family because they're not rich (laughs) at all, but they've done what they had to do because they believed in me and believed that I would put in the work to get where I want to be so they knew that it would pay off. So I'm very much grateful that they decided to help me out. 
so there's always like a way out of a storm so I believe that things will change for the better at some point A special thank you to all current and former North Carolina Central Eagles for sharing their stories with us this week. To hear more from our HBCU tour, check out last week's episode from Texas Southern University, where we spoke with students about the battles over CRT. And next week, we're headed to FAMU, home of the Rattlers, to learn how students are getting on the water to understand the impact of climate change on the region's sea life. So it's very important for us to be on the front of this because we are, as black people, like directly, genuinely affected by climate change. When these water levels and things start to rise and land starts to just warp and stuff, it's these black and brown neighborhoods and these minority communities who are in these places that are directly affected by these things. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook using the handle at IntoAmericaPod. Or you can tweet me at Tremaine Lee. Our email is IntoAmerica at NBCUNI.com. Into America is produced by Sojourner Ahebe, Isabel Angel, Allison Bailey, Mike Brown, Aaron Dalton, Max Jacobs, Olivia Richard, and Joshua Sarodiak. Original music is by Hannes Brown. Our executive producer is Aisha Turner. Special thanks to Stephanie Cargill, Joe Frieda, Sam Griffin, Allison Lau, and Ben Turney. And thanks to Christian Whitaker for helping me record today at FAMU School of Journalism and Graphic Communication Recording Studio. I'm Tremaine Lee. We'll see you next Thursday for more of our series, The Power of the Black Vote. Get the latest updates on this year's high-stakes election with MSNBC's How to Win 2024 newsletter. When you subscribe, you'll get expert analysis on key races sent straight to your inbox, including articles written by the host of the How to Win podcast, Jennifer Palmieri. Subscribe today at msnbc.com win.